Thank you, Anne. It is indeed good to be together um, to continue our Commonwealth Games theme. Um, I forgot to say last week um, that if you're not so old and when it gets to the talky bit you want to go and do some colouring or drawing, there is stuff upstairs. I don't think we've got any tiny tots this week, but there are also toys up there. So, hey, if you know, if you're a bit older and you fancy doing a large floor puzzle, it's there for you. Let's just keep a moment of stillness because we are here to worship God. We worship God as members of the kingdom of God first and foremost. But in this summer of Commonwealth sport, we remember the Commonwealth of which we are a part. And so we have again lit our candles representing the areas of Africa, Asia, the Americas, the Caribbean, Oceania, and Europe. On this bright and sunny summer's day, it is good to worship God. So let's join together in our opening hymn of praise. Today I awake, and God is before me. Common ground number 133. going to join together in our opening prayer of praise and adoration, which I'm using from um, a world prayer book, a book called Prayers Encircling the World, and there is a response in this prayer. So you have to listen out for when I say the words, so we praise you, and if you would then join me with saying, we praise and worship you. So I will say, so we praise you. And then we all say together, we praise and worship you. So let's come to God in prayer. We have heard about you, God of all power. You made the world out of kindness, creating order out of confusion. You made each one of us in your own image. Your fingerprint is on every soul. So we praise you. We praise and worship you. We have heard about you, Jesus Christ, the carpenter who left his tools and trade, the poor man who made others rich, the healer who let himself be wounded, the criminal on whom the soldiers spat, not knowing they were fouling the face of God, the Saviour who died and rose again. 
So we praise you. We praise and worship you. We have heard about you, Holy Spirit. You broke the bonds of every race and nation to let God speak in every tongue. You made disciples drunk with grace. You converted souls and emptied pockets. You showed how love made all things new and opened the doors to change and freedom. So we praise you. We praise and worship you. Amen. Now last week, due to a bit of idiocy on my part, we didn't get the song to sing along to. So we're going to have another try. You don't have to sing along to it if you don't fancy it. I know it's not a hymn. It's just a song which is sung by children, a song of great aspiration. But you can follow the words on the sheet as we listen to the song. Let the the games begin. Now, if you want a bit of that song to keep in mind for this morning, it's probably the second two stanzas. Push, pull, do what you have to do. Keep on. There's no place for doubt in you. Once more, your destiny waits. How will you act in adversity? Give up? Give in? Say it's not for me. We all know that you have got what it takes. So just keep that at the back of your mind if you're into keeping things at the back of your mind. If you can't, it doesn't matter. I'm going to show you some pictures. We might want to take the lights down so that they're a bit clearer. Um, I have had a play with all the settings on my laptop and on the projector, and we've closed the curtains, so we've done as much as we possibly can to try and improve um, the visibility. I'm going to show you six Scottish sporting heroes, and we're going to see if you can recognise them. Um, I think I probably need to move, otherwise the people on this side are just going to get a nice view of the side of my head, and that's probably not terribly helpful. Okay. So who's this one? <laughs> Rona Martin. And what does Rona, what's Rona Martin's sport? Curling. Yeah. I thought I'd start off with a nice easy one. So, yeah, Rona Martin looking very happy. Gold medalist in curling. Uh, Andy Murray, um, last year as Wimbledon champion. Okay, so that's two nice easy ones to start you off. We'll get a little bit harder now. Oh, straight in there, Jeff. Eric Little. Who, apart from Jeff, can tell me what Eric Little is famous for? He was an athlete, as you can see by what he's wearing. Not running on a Sunday. Yep, times have changed a lot, haven't they, since then? I think just about all the Christian athletes now run on Sundays and use that as an act of worship. We've, we've changed how we understand what worship is a little bit since his day. Um, although I remember him saying that uh, God made me fast. Uh, God made me for China, but God made me fast. He was also a missionary in China, um, and I think he died out there, if I remember correctly. But I haven't checked my facts, and after my current track record, it's probably best not to do too much guessing. Okay, who is that? Archie Gemmel. That is Archie Gemmel, yes. <laughs> that was said with a quite... I'm not quite sure how to take that. Okay, um, why do you think he might be um, picked out as a Scottish sporting hero? Football, yeah. Um. Uh, again. He scored against Holland in the 78 World Cup. Um. Uh, apparently, oh, this, is, this is a true story, okay? My week was a bit bizarre. Um, I wound up creating my PowerPoint on Friday evening, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to sit in front of the television with a laptop on my knee, and I'd picked it up, and I picked this photograph, and I thought, oh, I'm not sure about that. I took it out, and I put in some at Busby instead. And blow me if on the one show, they didn't start talking about Archie Gemmel. So I took that as a sign to put him back in. <laughs> hey, who knows? Okay, this one's possibly a little more tricky. You may or may not know this person. Oh, very good. Yeah, that's Yvonne Murray. Um, Athlete, can anybody tell me what sort of distance she did? 5,000. 5,000. I think she was a yeah, kind of middle distance. Yeah, middle distance runner. And last one. It's really interesting because you've seen this one every week for the last three weeks. But you don't recognise without a clothes on. 
Okay, that's Kirsty Balfour, who is a Scottish swimmer, and she's one of the, the heroes that's in the video that we'll be watching in a minute. So we're thinking about heroes today, and you will have found when you came in, you had a piece of paper on your sheet, on your table, on your chair. I'll get there in a minute. Now, some of you will have gone, oh, no, bits of paper. And some of you have gone, oh, bits of paper. So what I would like you to do is just to think, if you can, who, when you were growing up, was your hero, or if you're not grown up, who currently is your hero, and even the adults, as you have been adults, who are your heroes? They could be sports, they could be uh, pop singers, they could be anybody you like. Just take a moment and either draw them or jot down their name because I want us to try and keep things in mind as we go through the service today. And I know if I don't jot things down, I forget. So there's going to be at least one other person like me, I think, in this, in this church. Okay. And I'm just wondering if maybe one or two people are brave enough to share with us um, who, is, who they've drawn or written down. Is anybody feeling really brave and say, yep, yeah, my, my hero either was or is... So, Graham. Malcolm Campbell. Malcolm Campbell. That was Bluebird. Really? Yep. So land speed record and water speed record. Fantastic. Thank you. So, uh, how many people know who Malcolm Campbell was? Yeah, I think it's one that the grown-ups know. But he, he, uh, he held the land speed record for quite a lot. He had a, a car and he drove it incredibly fast called the Bluebird. And he was the fastest man in a car on the planet for quite a long time. Okay, anybody else feeling brave enough to share one? Elaine. I'm the lady called Lilius Graham, who okay. was born in a very, very wealthy background, but came to work in, and live in the Gorbals of Glasgow. And she was told by the Pithfield Church she wasn't allowed to live there, it was too dangerous, and she said, I'm going in Great. So a woman who stuck to her principles and stuck to her, her, her calling, and her name was Lilius Graham. So I suspect... Anybody else apart from Elaine know of her? A few people. That's great. That's a new one for me, so thank you. I've, I've learned something good today. One more. Anybody? Perhaps it's like nobody wants to admit that they, they sort of admire One Direction or something like that. No? Okay, yes. Your mum. Okay, fantastic. So different kinds of heroes. So that's really good. So what we're going to do now is we're going to watch the DVD clip. I'm going to do a bit of juggling because I still haven't quite got that bit of technology sorted out. And then we're going to come back and think a little bit more about our heroes. Okay. So these athletes were telling us about their heroes who probably are people we don't know for the most part. They're their gran or their mum or their dad. But what is it about those people that makes us admire them? If you listened carefully in, as those athletes were talking, they shared some of the reasons as to why these people inspired them. Um, so we're just going to take a minute. and uh, You can draw or write or just think, whatever works for you. Your heroes that you've written down or that are in your head, what is it about them that inspires you, that makes you think, yep, that's somebody I'd like to be like? So just a minute or so to think about that. Okay, does anybody feel brave enough to share any of the things that that they wrote down or thought about that they admire in these people? It doesn't have to be the people who've shared before, and you don't have to say who it relates to. Um, But there might be something that, yeah, I admire that person because... Okay. Well, one of the people I wrote down was Gladys Aylward, um, the end of the seven happiness, six happiness, whatever it is. Um, it was a film I loved as a child and a story I read in my teens. And one of the things I really admired about Gladys Aylward was she never gave up. She kept on keeping on, as the saying goes. So she was a very determined person. And that was one of the, the attributes that I think I, I aspired to, something I wanted to be like. Um, so... That's one of mine, so I'm sure somebody else must have something they could offer. I know it's Sunday and it's warm and our brains are tired. Okay. Well, I think we'll uh, move on then in that case. If people aren't going to play, that's absolutely fine. Let's then sing again um, a song that reminds us about Jesus as the ultimate hero 
that we can have. Um, the words may be unfamiliar. It's a very old hymn, but I think the tune should be known. With Jesus, the hero, for teacher and friend, the word to the purpose of God shall ascend. We're going to listen now for God speaking to us in scripture as we hear part of the story of Jesus and his team as they got to know each other better. The reading begins at Mark chapter 8 verse 27 and continues on into chapter 9 and I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Mark chapter 8 beginning at verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you're the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on, not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they have seen the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, 
who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. So just a quick reminder then, if anybody wants to go upstairs to colour or draw or play, that's fine. Um, if any of the grown-ups are actually the kind of people who learn or explore better by drawing or doodling or colouring, there is stuff at the back if you would like to do that, but you don't have to. Um, one of the things about leading worship is you have to keep in mind that everybody's got a different learning style and a different personality, and on different weeks might like different things, so try to uh, address as many of those as possible as we can. Back in the 1970s, when I was a teenager, there was a Christian rock song called Under the Influence. And I think it was a response to the idea that teaching children about Jesus was indoctrination, and that you should just let people find their own way through life on their own. And the song included a very memorable, to me anyway, line, even though it's actually very outdated now. It said, even Muhammad Ali has only feet of clay. Now, it only works if you know that Muhammad Ali was called Cassius Clay before he changed his name. But it actually has something kind of true about that. These heroes, these people that we set up on pedestals have got clay feet, And and we think of the qualities that inspire us about them, of course we do, but they have also got very human frailty and finitude. So, we have this story today, a story about Peter, James and John on their journey with Jesus. And Peter has had a bit of an interesting time the last little while, hasn't he? He's been asked, well, who do people say that I am? And people said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, which, of course, was his cousin. And other people said, well, we think he's Elijah, come back, which would be a sign that the Messiah was coming. Others think he's a prophet. Well, who do you think I am then? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, aren't you? Hurrah, great moment for Peter, a moment of light bulb flashing insight. His hero, Jesus, could be the one for whom everybody has waited. But then it all goes so horribly wrong, so quickly. Because Jesus says, well, that's great, but you have to know what this means. Because it's not going to be perhaps what you think. I'm not going to lead Israel out of Roman occupation. Actually, it's going to go, humanly speaking, very, very wrong. And Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And Jesus rebukes him. In fact, Jesus compares him to Satan, to the tempter, to the one who in the Old Testament was tried to lead people astray. My goodness, how must that have felt for Peter? One minute, yes, you're my hero, you're the one I've been waiting for. 
And now you're telling me I'm the worst possible thing? Poor Peter. But a week went by, and with Jesus, his hero, and those squabblesome brothers, James and John, he went up a mountain. And he must have been quite excited. This was a bit of special time for him and these two brothers with Jesus. Wow, one-to-one with Jesus. What could be better? And going up a mountain, the thing that symbolized drawing closer to God. This was great. And then it just got better and better. Because there on that mountaintop, suddenly were two more of his heroes. Moses and Elijah. Now, I've often joked that we don't know how he knew unless they had badges saying, my name is Moses and my name is Elijah. But let's not worry about the mechanics of it. For Peter, this was like a dream come true. Suddenly, your three best heroes right in front of you, Jesus, who you've given up everything to follow, Moses, the great lawgiver, the the one who led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, And Elijah, that amazing prophet who did great wonders and then went straight to heaven without dying. Wow, what a moment. It's no wonder he started talking nonsense about building tents and let's just keep this moment going forever. Here he was in the presence of his heroes. It was amazing. But one of the things I've been thinking about this week, and one of the reasons I can do this just talking here, is I rewrote my sermon about six times this week, is that these great heroes sometimes debilitate us. We look at their amazing achievements. We look at their hard work, their dedication, their refusal to give in, and we think, but I can't do that. I've definitely got clay feet. I'm not perfect. I don't always think as I should or feel as I should. And the thing that really struck me is something that God's reminded me of over and over and over since I was in my 20s and heard a sermon on Hebrews 11. All those great heroes of faith were frail and fallible and failing. There's not one of them that didn't mess up somewhere along the line. And it seemed right today to just tease out a little bit from the stories of Moses and Elijah that show their humanity and their frailty. And maybe, just maybe, in a strange way, encourage us that we, in our frailty, our finitude, can still be in Jesus' team and still have something great to offer. So Moses, the great patriarch, the one who led Israel out of Egypt and through the desert to the promised land, only he wasn't allowed to go in because he'd messed up and God said, well, you messed up, you're not coming in. Moses was 80 years old, so we're told, when he saw the burning bush, he was an old man who spent most of his life living as an outsider. Born of Hebrew parents, he'd been a foster child in the Egyptian palace. Always a little bit on the edge, he was aware of his Hebrew roots, but he had all this privilege. And then after he, mur- he had murdered somebody, an Egyptian, and hidden the body, and that came to light, he fled to Midian, a foreign land where he married a Midianite woman and lived on the edge of that society, still an outsider. He worked as a shepherd. And so it was the shepherd Moses who saw this burning bush and heard God speak. Now, I love that story in Exodus 3 and 4 of Moses' call because he just does everything possible to get out of it. Oh, but I, I, I can't do magic tricks. That's all right. I'll make you able to do magic tricks, says God. Oh, but I can't do this. Well, that's okay, says God. I'll help you. Then he comes up with his trump card. I'm slow of speech. I'm not good at speaking. Some people think perhaps he had a stammer or a speech impediment. Some people think he just lacked confidence. He was very conscious, it seems, of his own 
shortcomings. But God still said, off you go. I'll send Aaron with you. Aaron can be your spokesperson. But I need you on my side. As you are, I can see in you what I need. So just do it. And there are other beautiful parts of this story of Moses. One of the ones that particularly sticks with me is the story of the battle against the Amalekites. Not because I like stories of battles. But we have Moses sitting on a rock, overseeing everything below. And the people are looking up to him. He's their great leader. And whilst he has his arms up, they're encouraged and the battle goes well. But when this old man's arms get tired and start to droop, they get discouraged and they lose heart and so it goes against them. But there is this lovely image of Joshua, who will become Moses' successor, and her, another younger man, holding up Moses' arms. He takes help from people. He doesn't try to do it all on his own. And now I don't know about you, but I know I'm guilty of thinking I have to do everything myself and not always asking for help when I need it. Moses was a bit like that as well. If you read the story, there are two occasions when he's told, you don't have to deal with this. It's too big for you to do it on your own. Appoint other people to help you. Moses was very frail. He was very human. He had a bad temper. He smashed the tablets when he came down from the mountain. And he also, the thing that finally um, finished him being allowed to go into the promised land, he was told to speak to a rock to call forth water. And in his frustration with the people, he smote the rock. And the water came. But God wasn't best pleased. So although Moses glimpsed the promised land... He never got in there. So there's Peter looking at Moses, his great hero. The hero who wasn't very good at speaking. The hero who had to have the help of others. The hero who could mess up. And then there was Elijah. Oh, Elijah, do you remember that story about the prophets of Baal and the altars? And, and Elijah's actually quite cheeky, really, isn't he? He says, oh, pour lots of water over my altar. Make it impossible. And that way, right, off you go, you Baal prophets. Get your gods to do this stuff. And, and nothing happens. And there's that line where Elijah says, well, has your, toilet, your god gone to the toilet then? Is he having a snooze? Very, very cheeky. And, of course, God brings fire on Elijah's offering, and it is accepted. Elijah speaks out to powerful people and tells them uncomfortable truths. He's doing a good job as a prophet. And then it all gets too much for him. And he runs away. He just flees. He goes away, far away from it all, scared that somebody's going to try to kill him. He sits down and he says to God in prayer, I want to die. In our parlance, we would say Elijah was suicidal. We would say perhaps that he was suffering from depression. Everything had been going great. He was doing what God wanted him to do, and the results were there. But he was exhausted. He was burnt out, whacked, had enough. Back in 2005, I was at the BWA Congress, and I went to a minister's talk. And there was a very well-known Scottish Baptist minister who used to work for a very well-known missionary organisation in a very high-powered position who was telling some of his story. And he told the story of the day that he went out to take his life. He just got in his car, drove to a cliff edge and wondered, how shall I do this? His church was going fine. Numbers were growing, people were coming to faith, people were being baptised, whatever. It was great. His family life was good. He got on well with his wife, his children, it was all okay. His relationship with God was good. But he was just utterly exhausted, depressed, demoralised and felt he could go no further. And sitting in his car on that cliff edge, he recalled the story of Elijah this hero with clay feet. Elijah, who wanted to die. So what happened? It's a lovely, tender story. He slept. And when he woke up, there was food and drink. 
and then he slept some more. And when he woke up again, there was more food and drink. And then he sensed God saying to him, right, now go off to Horeb, to this mountain, and I'll meet you there. And so he went off, and he went into a cave. And then he came to the mouth of the cave, and we know the story about the earthquake and the wind and the fire, and God wasn't in any of those. And then, in the most accurate translation from the Hebrew, the sound of sheer silence. It was in that absence, in that emptiness, in that lack of anything, that he sensed God's presence. And I think sometimes we're guilty of looking for God in all sorts of exciting ways, in things that make us happy or things that are dramatic. And what God does is just come alongside us in the darkness, in the tough place. Not speaking, not acting, just being. And as I think of the story of Peter and his relationship to those two heroes, Peter fouled up big time. Peter had huge regrets. Peter knew great sorrow when his friend Jesus was killed. And yet, Peter would go on to serve Jesus and probably to die for him. That humanity of the heroes, that fallibility of the heroes, it seems to me is as important as their strengths. And when we think of Jesus as our ultimate hero, and of course he was perfect, and of course he was sinless, whatever either of those mean. But he was also fully human. Read the Gospels carefully, and he says, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. He gets tired. He needs to sleep. And then in the garden, he agonizes. He does not want to die. Please, if there's any way out, God, can we find it? But your will, not my will, be done. Those of us who used the chocolat um, story as our Lent reflection might remember at the end of that, the priest says, I don't want to talk about Christ's divinity. I want to talk about his humanity. With Christ as our hero, which is great, there is a tendency to forget that he knows fine well what it's like to be a person, what it's like to struggle with tiredness or frustration or anger or people that just don't seem to get what you're about or who are with you one minute and against you the next minute. He knows and he understands all that. Jesus is our hero. Elijah and Moses remind us that all heroes, all humans, are fallible and frailing. I wonder for each of us today, is there one thing we can take away that helps us in our role as heroes to others as we play our part in Jesus' team? We're going to sing a version of the ancient hymn, Lord be my vision, supreme in my heart. Let's stand if we're able as we sing.
Among the many books I have in the vestry are books of intercessory prayer and books that give you ideas for different ways of doing intercessory prayer. And the one we're going to experiment with this week is prayer by mind mapping. Now, some people love mind mapping. Some people hate mind mapping. Just for the record, I'm in the hate camp on this one. I don't just offer you things that that I I like and find easy myself. It's good to have some different challenges. And the idea of mind mapping is it's a kind of systematic doodling, really. It's good for people who are are visual thinkers. It's good for people who like to think systemically, apparently, according to the book that I read, and not perhaps so good for for concrete sequentials like me. But hey, it's good to have a bit of a challenge. So if it doesn't work for you, you can just do the praying in your head, um, but it's worth giving it a go. What I'd like you to do in the centre of the box is either to write your name or put your initial or just draw a little pin figure or something that symbolises you as a person. And if that feels too uncomfortable, then just start by thinking who you are. And what I would like you to do, having drawn or symbolised yourself in some way, is to add something to your mind map that represents an area of your life where you feel that you need encouragement. And again, if you don't want to write or draw, you can just think about that and bring it to God in the silence, a part of your life, the way you, you feel a need to be encouraged. And then an area of your life that is exciting and or inspiring. And then something that weighs very heavily on your mind. It might be a situation, it might be something, but something that for you is weighing heavily on your mind. And then a person or a place or a situation into which you want to pray Jesus' love, healing, or hope. And then lastly, for one thing that you feel that you need to receive from God. One of the beauties of mind mapping is you can connect things up. So if you think there are connections between any of these, you can do a squiggly line or a straight line or draw anything else that you want to add to that. And then we're just going to take a few moments in silence to offer those prayers that we have drawn or thought or written to God. And after that silence, we will join in the Lord's Prayer. So in whichever language and whichever version is most natural, we gather our prayers together, offering them to God In the name of Jesus, who gave his friends this pattern for their prayers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We continue to worship God as we take up our offering.
Take this moment, sign and space. Take my friends around. Make our fellowship a place where your love is found. Take me as you call my name. Send your love to mend who I am and what I've been, all that I've failed to tend. Take the tiredness of my days. Take what I regret. Let your free forgiveness touch all I can't forget. Take the little child in me, scared of growing old. Help me now to find my worth, made in Christ's own mould. Take my talents, take my skill, take what's yet to be. Let my life be truly yours, and yet it still be me. Loving God, we offer you these our gifts of money, and with them our lives, frail, failing, flawed, but hopeful, asking that each may be employed in your service. Amen. And so we end with a great hymn of dedication in the red hymn book at number 352, O Jesus, I Have Promised. God, who meets us in the darkest valleys and at the brightest mountaintops, 
as we leave this place to go back to the challenges of our own lives. Bless us with new courage, new hope, new willingness to serve, and above all, renewed assurance that you are with us and that your love enfolds us now and always.